0: So the title of this talk is, There Is Suffering. And I've, <coughs> last week I started um, a talk on the Four Noble Truths, which are thought to be the basic tenets of Buddhism. And I've been using uh, this, this book, actually some teachers and I, some other teachers and I have been using this book. This is The Four Noble Truths by Arjan Sumedho. And it's a great little book, packed with uh, information, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, we had a stack of them once before, and I'll get some more, so that uh, they're something you can take home and read and make sure I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I do my best. So last week I talked, really just kind of an intro about the, Buddhist, the Buddha's life, uh, Siddhartha Gautama. The Buddha to be, and um, and then I really kind of I left it I left it at where he began to go into the four noble truths, and each week for the next four weeks I'm going to be uh, just looking at we're going to look at one of the noble truths, but I'll kind of back up a little bit for today to reorient people, or recap. So shortly after the Buddha's enlightenment, he set out to find his old homies, the, the ascetics. He had five ascetics that he was training with before um, he set off. And he set out to find them again. The Buddha had come to well, before the Buddha had come to a decision to teach, he was kind of, um, I don't know what I would say, skeptical or reserved. He was holding back. He had come to this uh, awakening. He had come to what he uh, considered the end of suffering. And he wasn't sure if he could teach. He wasn't sure if people would understand In one of the kind of commentaries, um, the Buddha was saying that, you know, as he kind of surveyed the existence of humans. That he just thought that the path was too difficult. There was too much greed, too much hatred and too much ignorance. In in humanity, and that it was so hard for him to get to this place of seeing clearly. That he wasn't sure, he wasn't confident in the ability of others. Then this uh, kind of clarity, this awareness, came about him that in every generation there will be few with less dust in their eyes that would be willing to go uh, against the stream, against the stream of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so with that, uh, out of compassion for humanity, uh, he decided to go forth. And so he went to uh, find his five friends because he thought to himself, these guys were close. They were with me. We were all struggling. These guys were close. They almost got it. They're just—they were too ardent in their practice. They were too uh, extreme. They were like the religious extremist, you know. So, what the Buddha discovered when he left the five ascetics was uh, what's known as the middle way. And some would say that the middle way is actually the Buddha's first teaching. Because basically that's what he came to teach the five ascetics. Look, look, you're getting a little extreme with your, (laughs) you know, piercing and your meditating on one foot for, you know, weeks on end. just not helpful at some point. Helpful to a point like concentration, like yoga, you know, helpful like studying, like reading, helpful to a point. But there's more. So what he said is, you know, there there needs to be an understanding that one must find a balance. He called he talked this talked about this as the razor's edge. That there needs to be a balance from the extremes of kind of religious life or the extremes of hedonism, so this kind of two uh, sides. There needs to be this balance, this middle way. You know, the extreme hedonism of you know seeking pleasure without end, addiction, greed, wanting. Or the, all right, sometimes even this kind of uh, hedonism or this kind of uh, addictive way. Can even be about needing to be right. There's this subtle way of like we get attached to, I'm right. Causes us suffering. So the arrogance, conceit, even spiritual superiority. This like, I am so much more spiritual than everyone else. They're somehow less than, I'm somehow greater than. This is a trap. And lacks humility. So the Buddha was talking about... And so even like the, his five ascetic friends, they were in this kind of extreme kind of su- spiritual superiority. And they were in some ways lacking humility. And so uh, the Buddha talked about on the one extreme... This kind of addictive thinking. And on the other extreme, really disconnecting completely from the world and the body. You know, uh, I remember, like, I don't even remember, like when I first started kind of thinking, knowing about what, what, what's enlightenment, you know. And I would thought, you know, as we all do, because it's an iconic symbol, like this like old man with a big beard, like naked, with a loincloth, sitting in a cave, like up on a, you know, way far away, disconnected. He had to like journey. <laughs> then you answer him a question and he gives you some kind of psychobabble or it's right there or something, you know. <laughs> you see like in the New Yorker little, Comics about that. But the Buddha was actually saying that this, in, what the ascetics were doing, you know, kind of hiding out in the forest, this wasn't the way to peace and ease. I think sometimes um, people come to spiritual practice as a way to kind of avoid uh, life's problems. You know, if I could just learn to. You know, meditate and concentrate, then I don't have to engage in all of the problems of the world or in my mind. I don't have to engage in the problems with my mind. <laughs> and that's why the title of this talk is There Is Suffering. Because well, that's really what the First Noble Truth is pointing to. There is suffering. Don't avoid it. Don't deny it. See it clearly. Know it. We're, we're experiencing it left and right. And in and, and so many ways causing more in this avoidance. So this is what um, the Buddha was talking about. So there's a, a term now called uh, spiritual bypass which is this kind of idea of if I meditate long enough, or if I go on enough meditation retreats, if I go to India and you know, then uh, all my problems will disappear. And uh, I'm here to tell you, I tried all that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. Because even in the deepest states of kind of concentration and uh, you know meditative, loving kindness. When we engage in relationship with ourselves, with others, especially your parents, right? Just go see your parents. You ever want to check out how your spiritual practice is doing? (laughs) Go home for the holidays. See how spiritual you are. So this this middle way, the Buddha pointed to as, um, you know, finding where the 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 path between the two extremes, where we can uh, see clearly the Four Noble Truths. There's this um, story by uh, Sariputta. Sariputta was a um, disciple of the buddha you know thought to be enlightened as well very articulate so in the stories of the buddha uh you know he was kind of his his left-hand man his right-hand man was uh, ananda his cousin so sariputta uh was describing the four noble truths and uh, one of the ways that he talked about it is if he said as if all other Footprints of all other animals on the planet can fit in the footprint of an elephant. So true is all of the teachings of the Buddha can fit within the four noble truths. So it's pretty important. So what are these? The first noble truth. There is suffering. There is suffering in this world. One of the ways I like to think about that, uh, and the way it kind of came to me, this understanding of suffering, is like there's something not quite right here. Just this kind of, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how many drugs I I took, no matter how much pleasure I tried to find, there was just something always not quite right. Something not quite right here. And getting that on a deeper level. And then there's a a cause. The second noble truth. There is a cause to this suffering. That cause is selfish, self-centered craving. So then the third noble truth is that there is an end. There's a way out. We can. There is a solution. And then the fourth noble truth is, here's the solution. Quite simply. Which is known as the Eightfold Path. So like I said, I'm going to break each, each one of those down. But I want to actually just read a definition of of suffering. This is called from the Samyutta Nikaya, which is one of the kind of, you know, books that all the teachings were written down in. First noble truth. What is the noble truth of suffering? Birth is suffering. Aging is suffering. Sickness is suffering. Dissociation from the loved is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In short, the five categories affected by clinging are suffering. There is this noble truth of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. And then he goes on to say, we must penetrate fully into these noble truths. We must must understand them. So not getting what one wants is suffering. I actually added one. Getting what one doesn't want is suffering. It's all about translation. So these uh, aggregates. I'm going to talk about the aggregates for a minute these five aggregates. So from the Buddhist perspective, this is thought up to be uh, this is thought to be what makes us. What is the us? Well there's mat- and all things. there is material form. Material form can break down into our physical body, our sense faculties and all material objects in the external world. So everything we see and touch. Fits onto the on the realm of material form. That's the only one that's physical. The rest are mental. The second feeling tone. So feeling tone is uh, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Uh, kind of vibrational feeling tones. It's not like feelings like happy, sad. That comes later. It's actually before we even make a, a thought. Or a perception, because that's the next thing. So there's sense experience. We'll say all of our senses, six senses. And then there's a vibrational, and you know, you know what that's like. I know that all of you do. Like when when you're walking and then a ray of sun kind of hits your face and you feel a pleasant experience. Pleasant experience. If you smell a fart, (laughs) unpleasant experience. Just walking, maybe it's, you know, maybe this room on some level. Neutral, not really pleasant, not really unpleasant. So this is kind of like the feeling, what we're talking about, feeling tone. So material form, feeling tone, then perception. This is where we start to get into the kind of thinking part of the brain. And then uh, what I like to call mental fabrication these stories that we create about everything (laughs) and anything. So then the fifth is considered consciousness, the the awareness through contact between object and its corresponding organ. So sense, such as, well, here's a good example, material form, material form, this is the bell, feeling tone, perception, consciousness, maybe a story of either pleasant or not pleasant I like that. Oh, I don't like bells. Maybe I remember this last time the bell rang. You know, this is just a simple example of how from moment to moment our experience unfolds from the Buddhist perspective. So I'm not going to move too far into all that. I'm going to really kind of stay focused on there is suffering because it's the it's the first and it's very important. Very often, uh, and I've even done I mean, I've done this myself. Just like oh yeah, there's suffering. You know, I, I get it, and I want to get rid of it as soon as possible. Right? That's kind of the the idea. But what the Buddha is saying is actually in the first first noble truth that there's actually three aspects to it that we need to really help unpack it. And the first is just that. There is suffering. So seeing it clearly, not avoiding it, not being in denial. And then that suffering should be understood. So this is the way of saying investigate suffering. Because most of us... We don't even get to there is suffering because we're so busy unconsciously, subconsciously, or fully consciously seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And in doing that, creating more suffering because it's selfish and self-seeking. So the Buddha's kind of saying, stop it. Quit, Quit it. Cut it out. See it for what it is. Unpleasant experience, pleasant experience, whatever. Even pleasant experience can cause suffering. Have you noticed that? Getting what you want. And then watching it slowly fade away. As all things do. I had a piece of um, ice, Oreo ice cream cake yesterday. And I was you know, eating it hurriedly. I was enjoying it. But then I, about halfway through I was like, oh this is going to be gone soon. And there was this sadness. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then I started to think about it. I wonder if there's any more. Because there was, it wasn't a huge cake and there was a, I was at a party. And I was like, I wonder if I could. And then I just kind of was like, okay, I'll just enjoy what I have. About halfway through. And when it was done, it was done. And I actually felt satiated. I actually, oh that was enough. And I moved on. And I had actually, it was a particularly um, pleasant experience for me because I was on a cleanse for like uh, just over a week, where I wasn't—I was just having like smoothies and salads pretty much, Uh, which actually felt really good. Uh, But I hadn't had sweets or anything like that, so I was just like, "Yeah," you know, (laughs) just watching it. I mean, even these little teeny ways, right? Where there's that kind of more, want more, that can come up. So this, the first noble truth and these three reflections, really. It's so important that we see them clearly. I highlighted some stuff in this book I wanted to kind of touch on. Because, you know, Ajahn Samedo is like the grandfather. He's like the godfather of our Theravadan tradition. And uh, he's been studying the Four Noble Truths as his primary practice for about the last 30 years. So I think the way that he said it and in reading it uh, was really helpful. So he's talking about uh, there is suffering. He's talking about these three aspects there is suffering, suffering should be understood. And suffering has been understood, and he said this. This is a very uh, skillful teaching because it is expressed in the simp- in a simple formula, which is easy to remember, and it also applies to everything that you can possibly experience, or do, or think concerning the past, the present, or the future. Suffering or dukkha is a common bond that we all share. Everybody, everywhere. Suffer. Human beings suffer. So there's this way in which, so we can all connect to that. There is suffering. Pretty important. When we talk about our human suffering, it brings out our compassionate tendencies. So if we can. Tap into this feeling of, uh, wow! It's not just I suffer; I am suffering, but it's actually we are suffering. And when we can, when we can uh, tap into that, we can uh, uh, really tap into the the compassion of it and the non-personality of it. It's not my suffering; it's not I am suffering. It's there is suffering. So there's a way in which when we uh, move away from the identity view of I am suffering, and my life is suffering, then it's, you know, we're just causing more suffering because we're attaching to it. But if we're able to see it from an observational perspective, there is suffering. Kind of like the thoughts, right, during meditation. It's not my thoughts, but just thoughts. I think it can be a little easier to just allow them to pass through when we're not grabbing hold of them and being like, yeah, like the Rubik's Cube, I gotta figure this one out. No, let it go. Just, so that I use that uh, meditation instruction, I love that meditation instruction. Relax, observe, allow. Can we relax? Even when we're suffering, can we relax into the suffering? Allow ourselves to be with it. To see it. Observe it. Instead of trying to avoid it all the time. In 3,000 different ways. And then that's the allowing. Can we allow it? Because if we can allow, then we can see that which arises passes away. Just like thoughts. So, uh... I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes uh, thoughts uh, can have some suffering attached to them. And by being able to kind of get some distance, I found it to be pretty helpful in alleviating some of that suffering. There was something else. Oh, this is where he's talking about there is the suffering that is a basic insight The ignorant person says, I am suffering. I don't want to suffer. I meditate. I go on retreats to get out of suffering. But I'm still suffering. And I don't want to suffer. So this first noble truth is saying, stop attaching to it. And then stop pushing it away. But acknowledge it. Because we can't actually get to the place of... Ca- how we cause our own suffering until we see it clearly. And then st- and, and get some space from it. Stop attaching to it. So there's a few... I've, I've talked about it a little bit already. This, this There's a few ways of looking at suffering. Uh, and just to say, suffering, the word dukkha, means dissatisfaction with the way things are. It means... Uh, anguish, mental anguish. It means stress. One of the ways uh, it's been talked about is a wheel out of round. So, you know, a wheel on a bike goes round and round. Wheels on the bus go round and round. But if it's flat, then it's going to go thump, thump, thump. Right? And so this. This is a way of thinking about suffering. Suffering is the, the out of roundness of our lives. One of my favorite uh, definitions of the word dukkha, which is a Pali word that means, you know, loosely translated as suffering. It's translated in like ten different ways. But impatience. Suffering can be translated or defined as impatience. Now, just think about that. Whenever we're impatient, are we not suffering? And is there not some selfing, some some me, mine, I involved in that, or some separation? Uh, usually, when I'm impatient, uh, it has to do with that I have somewhere to go, and uh, that person <laughs> is not going fast enough. Right? So there's a. Yet, we're all in traffic. (laughs) So this is uh, what we call the the suffering of self-view. Where we get so locked into and attached to the suffering. Some of us actually, uh, we feel so comfortable in it, right? Like the idea of comfortable in chaos. I lived so many years that way. Just comfortable in chaos. Seeking it out. I didn't really think there was another way. One of my teachers a long time ago gave this uh, this description of that. This cycle of familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. Over and over and over. Suffering is familiar. It's predictable. It's, it's safe on some level. At least I know what I'm expecting. I know what I'm going to get. And painful. Keeping us locked in a cycle of suffering. Maybe to say a few words about the difference between pain and and what is called in Buddhism suffering. One of the ways it's described is uh, a story from the Buddha of the two arrows. The first is the arrow of life. Life is painful. People you love are going to leave you. They're going to die. You're going to lose jobs. This body is going to age. You know, sick sickness will happen. Breakups. You know. Pain. Painful situations will happen. Seeing it clearly is extremely helpful. The suffering is in this analogy of the arrow is like taking a second arrow and stabbing ourselves with it as a way to avoid the first arrow. So there's pain in the first arrow that is, you know, just you're walking down and then boom, shot by an arrow. Damn, that sucks. Instead of attending to it, you're going to avoid that pain by grabbing another arrow and stabbing yourself. <laughs> you know? I don't want to really feel that pain, so I'm going to cause some more pain over here. And then I'm going to really focus on this pain a lot. All right? It's called the story... Or the uh, Yeah, the story of the two arrows. Sometimes talked about as the two darts. So it's this idea of that there is pain in life. We've all experienced it. And when we uh, uh, either avoid or we're seeking pleasure or we're attached. And we're creating another layer of suffering on top of the actual pain. Kind of like when you stub your toe or you twist your ankle. I twisted my ankle the other day. Oh, I got stung by a bee today. Here's a good example. I'm riding my motorcycle, kind of smiling because I, I have a, a three quarter helmet, and then a bee flew right in my mouth. My mouth was closed, <laughs> but it stuck on my tongue, on my lips. And I'm driving, and I'm like a little distracted, right? And I tried to spit it out because I didn't know to swallow or anything, and I just spit it out, and then it stung me right on my lip. Luckily, I'm not allergic to beef There was pain, and I actually just kind of actually I, I I spit it out, but I kind of grabbed it too because it was stuck to my lip from the, the thorn, and I didn't squish it, and I didn't get I didn't get angry at it right away because it was just flying. I actually hit it right, you know. But then there then I was pain, and I remember feeling the pain, and then. Just a laugh, just being like that sucks. Like yeah, and it, my my I can feel as I'm because I'm still riding. You know, I didn't crash or anything. That was good. And then and then the the lip started to swell, and there was a twinge of like that damn bee. But then very quickly I was able to go no, let's just stay with the pain, <laughs> right? You know, and it got worse, and then it started to get better, and I got an ice cube and. So instead of uh, getting really angry at the bee and you know whatever the you know could, I mean, that's just a really small example right? But there's so many of those where the, we, we something happens that's painful and then we get angry at either the pain or the culprit or the situation, and then we're that's the cr- creating a layer of suffering. I remember about a, in about so about an hour after this whole thing happened, I remember oh this would be a good example. So I guess maybe it was. I don't know. Stubbing the toes and the classic one, right? You stu You're walking hurriedly, perhaps, through the house. You stub your toe, and then you get mad at the toe, and mad at the you know coffee table, and mad at whoever's next to you, and damn toe. You know, that's that's suffering. Wanting things to be other than they are. One of the ways to think about that is to actually, what's actually needed in that moment of suffering is compassion. Poor toe. You know? I didn't really get to the place of like poor bee. I didn't get there. I didn't wish it dead, but I wasn't like, oh, poor bee, I ran into it. I was not there. But the toe, but the toe, you know, poor toe. Poor toe. A little hokey, right? But <laughs> it's true though. So next time you stub your toe, try to give it some compassion. And see if the pain goes away faster. <clears throat> see for yourself. So the denial of suffering, you know, we've already talked about quite a bit. But I'll just read a little piece of it. Suffering is something we usually do not want to know. We just want to get rid of it. As soon, as soon as there is any inconvenience or annoyance, the tendency of an unawakened human being is to get rid of it or suppress it. This is the denial of suffering. If any unpleasant, uh, if anything unpleasant arises, we say, "Run away!" If anyone uh, gets in our way, we say, "Kill him!" right this tendency is often apparent in our government our governments are so there's so much ignorance around that right we can have this altruistic kind of compassionate view around suffering but then as soon as we get into opinions or politics or right and wrong view then there's war it's such a basic instinct which is one of the reasons why the Buddha was like I'm not sure I'm not sure there's so much hatred there's so much ignorance that I'm not sure if people can get it so this concept of less dust in their eye that's basically you You've somehow found your way to a Buddhist center, to meditation, you've maybe read some books, who knows. But so, from the Buddhist perspective, those who are kind of called towards self-reflective practice have less dust in their eye. Of course, some of you may have been taking dust and throwing it in your eye. (laughs) Right, then then it clears out, and then you take some more dust. You're like, I don't like what I see, and you throw some more. Right, suffering, just creating more suffering for ourselves. So then there's this this other piece around suffering that uh, is well, it's, it's morality or ethics, ethical behavior, and so the Buddha set out these five basic precepts agreements commitments to help us stop causing ourselves suffering it's very simple don't kill things mm-hmm. you know don't intentionally harm don't take things that don't belong to you don't steal don't be dishonest stop lying to yourself first, then others. Right? There's like a whole thing about slander and gossip, and you know that is attached to that. Then there's this this fourth uh, precept, which is about having a wise sexual relationship or wise sexual uh, understanding. So not intentionally harming people or yourself with your sexuality. Not sexuality is bad. Not don't be sexual. Be wise with your sexuality. Don't take advantage. Don't cause harm. And then the fifth precept, the fifth guideline that the Buddha set out to not cause suffering for ourselves is don't indulge in mind-altering substances. One of the ways it's talked about is um, to abstain from chemicals or substances or consumption that leads to heedlessness back to the very kind of beginning. That clouds the mind. One of the ways um, I heard Ajahn Amaro, this um, kind of elder monk in our tradition, say uh, that leads to, uh, that makes people thoughtless and crazy. Don't take things that make you thoughtless and crazy. <laughs> and the understanding of the, uh, the precepts is that, um, so there is suffering. And if we follow these precepts to the degree in which you agree to follow them, would you do me a favor? Those two middle switches, there's like, just turn the two little buttons. Yeah. yeah. And then, thank you. So there's this suffering, and to the degree in which we can follow these precepts, is to the degree in which we don't spill our suffering out onto the rest of the world. So it's like at the very least, stop spilling your suffering over everyone else. Just keep it contained within your own heart. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, and then if you do that less, eventually you'll be able to have a relation, a, a relationship with meditation. With uh, others, where you will hopefully be able to alleviate your own suffering as well, and you're at least not creating more suffering. This is why when you go on meditation retreats, it's silent because you're at least not talking smack. It's just in, all in your mind. Okay. You can you're at least you're not spilling it out. Basic. So these are, you know, all of the noble truths, they're not absolute truths. They're called noble truths for a reason. Because the Buddha wasn't saying this is an absolute truth. The Buddha was saying this is something to reflect upon. Is there suffering? Can you see it? Can you understand it? And then, has it been understood? There's a cause to suffering. Is that true? See for yourself. Does being selfish and self-centered cause you suffering? (laughs) See for yourself. That's the the reflection, the investigation. If we follow the precepts and meditate, to whatever degree you do that, is there less suffering? Are we creating less suffering? If we can uh, have compassion towards our own pain and possibly the pain of others, is there less suffering within us, within this experience? Not in another life, not twenty years from now, like here and now. This is the reflection. So, to give some time for questions, uh, I'll stop here. And then next week, uh, we'll look at uh, the second noble truth, craving. This is the cause of suffering. A little more, we'll unpack that one. So thank thank you for your attention, and I'll open for some questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com